Hello and welcome to the Talking Property with CBRE, a podcast in which our teams of experts share their commercial real estate insight. My name is Henry Jing, Global Head of Investor Thought Leadership and Head of Research for Asia Pacific. I'm your host for today's episode. Over the next 20 to 30 minutes, we will be putting the spotlight on Asia Pacific life sciences real estate, focusing on key trends, demand drivers, corporate asset strategies, and investment opportunities in major life sciences hubs across the region. I am delighted to be joined by Mark Costa, Head of Capital Market for Pacific, and David Kinnan, National Director of Science and Research in Australia, to explore the latest trends in the Pacific region. Gent, thank you both for joining me. You're welcome, Henry. Thank you very much, Henry. Very much looking forward to this. Excellent. I think before we dive in, I would like to provide the snapshot of demand drivers and occupy strategies we are seeing in this sector. According to CBI's new research report, the new era of life science growth, the life science industry in our region holds massive growth potential due to the region's large aging populations, low health expenditures, and lagging pharmaceutical productions. Supportive government policies are fueling the growth of domestic pharmaceutical companies and enabling the expansion of international companies seeking to establish headquarters in our region. This increased support is also helping the region to catching up with the US and Europe, particularly to RMD capabilities. So what are we seeing on the ground in terms of corporate real strategies, life sciences real estate portfolios typically have four major categories, which I will briefly walk you through now. First, we have a corporate offices where occupiers are trying to optimize their portfolios to capturing the current leasing market weakness. The second important component is R&D labs. Many homegrown companies are expanding their R&D capacities by leveraging government's supportive policies in these sectors. Next, we have logistics and cold storage facilities, where the main focus for occupiers is to enhance their network and the last mile distribution. Lastly, manufacturing plants. The key occupier strategy here is to scale up productivities and new facilities, especially in mainland China, Japan, Australia, and Korea. So David, let me turn it to you for the Pacific perspective. We understand both Melbourne and Sydney are home to over 15 million square footage of life sciences facilities. Parkvale and Macquarie Park are examples, where many global leading companies are located such as Novartis and Johnson & Johnson. What do you see on the ground regarding to Pacific Occupy strategies and activities within the life sciences sector? Thank you, Henry. I think for some of our listeners, I should also acknowledge it isn't just Sydney and Melbourne where we're seeing this growth. It is Australia-wide, but definitely Sydney and Melbourne are powerhouses right now. They're very strong movements nationally when it comes to life sciences. 
Um, as you touched on, there's been significant push from government to be more self-sufficient, to reduce reliance on international supply chains. So accordingly, that's proven to be a great catalyst on the ground, and we're seeing the market react to that. We're seeing a range of interest from across manufacturing and industrial for the larger scale manufacturing sites and distribution centers, which you noted, plus the R&D end of the spectrum, particularly with a focus on vaccine development and therapeutics. And, and certainly that's an area of keen interest for me. We should note that Australia is well positioned with regards to top tier research through our amazing university and research sector, which locally does create an opportunity for the commercialization and novel discovery development. There's certainly a lot of growth in this area to harness. Yeah, interesting. Thank you so much, David. Definitely, when we're talking about Australia, it's well beyond Sydney and well beyond Melbourne. And it's uh, quite a lot of clusters that are forming up in Australia. But as we have heard, there's a huge occupied demand across the region. So the next burning question is, how does the list translate into opportunities for investment? I think, first of all, let's talk about globally. I think in globally, life science investments account for around 4% of a global commercial transaction volume last year. The U.S. has been leading the way, which Boston and San Francisco emerging as a major market. And the U.S. cap rate is currently trading around 4 to 4.5%. And the Asia-Pacific is lagging behind. In 2020, life sciences investment across the region was only $700 million, which is less than 1% of the Asia-Pacific total. But Australia is leading. However, with a spray of a second wave of COVID-19 Delta variant, Governments are focusing on the R&D capabilities, especially on the vaccine development and productions. We have seen many public-private partnerships are formed to create more life sciences facilities across the region. And many investors are looking for life sciences investments. And we expect to see a considerable growth. And the projection from CBRE is a growth from current $700 million to around $3 billion in the medium term. So Mark, can you talk to us what key trends you are seeing in Australia, particularly on the logistics sectors? How has COVID impacted life sciences related investments as Australia is really one of the leading markets in the region? Yeah, thanks, Henry. I think um, life sciences was always of real interest even before COVID. So leading into the end of 2019, there was a huge amount of interest in that life sciences sector. And, you know, as we were entering into 20, many of our clients were really looking closely at their strategies around life sciences. And then obviously with COVID hitting, that becomes an even, you know, more interesting space to get into as demand from pharma increases, both in the R&D sector, as you rightly pointed out, but also the logistics sector and an ability to, to shift product around the country. So logistics being one of the most popular assets or the most popular asset class globally and certainly in Australia as well. There's a huge amount of capital for it and it's playing out that way as, as our clients look to deploy more and more capital specifically in logistics for pharma-based activity or life sciences activity. The other part that's quite interesting is that impact on demand for cold storage assets and how that plays out from a life sciences perspective. And and again, that's an asset class that's become increasingly ex accepted and highly sought after from, from our clients from an investment perspective and increased again in terms of how cold storage plays an increasingly important part in 
logistics surrounding life sciences and pharmaceuticals in particular, especially as we sit here looking at uh, vaccines around COVID and the importance of cold storage and that supply chain. Excellent, Mark. Funny enough, when I was talking to the clients, everyone's talking about logistics and the cold storages. For sure, Australia and Pacific is really, really high on the investments radar. And then, you know, within Asia Pacific, we do believe we are still in the initial stage of development as investment asset classes for life sciences. However, we do expect more assets to come into the market in the coming years in the form of a sale list by deals. As a pharmaceutical companies to recycle capital for R&D efforts. So what investment opportunities are you seeing in Australia, particularly Sydney, Melbourne, also those major hubs, Mark? Yeah, it's a good point, Henry. There is, is an increasing amount of sale and leaseback activity, particularly in Australia. So We've seen some of our the largest um, life sciences companies, you know, GSK being an example, looking at um, disposing of property, not so much in a sale and leaseback scenario there, but interestingly, demand from tenants looking to enter that real estate post the purchase from institutional clients in Australia was really strong sale and leaseback activity because of the nature of the way in which assets are held in Australia and the transparency of the market is a really good way for occupiers to realize uh, value in those assets and you know we're seeing more and more occupiers look to go down that path we expect to see continuing amounts of private equity play in that life sciences space too which we think will, will encourage further sale and leaseback activity as well i think the other interesting part about that sale and leaseback activity is that as the market matures and we start to see increasing amounts of activity in less traditional ways of realising value. So I'm thinking things like credit tenant leases or synthetic leases, which we've seen a lot of in America and, and increasingly in Europe and into the future in Australia as well. So it's a really, really exciting part of the market and one that we have a number of our team now looking to specialise in because our clients from an occupier perspective and from an investment perspective are, are really asking that of, of us. Yeah, this is so much interesting to looking into this life sciences related product. And then will you be able to tell us a little bit more why is there so much capital to look for the life sciences? What makes it such an attractive investment, Mark? The first thing is it's it's such a an important part of what we're talking about on a daily basis and and there is so much, you know, you pointed out before that government support David did as well around around the industry and the R&D. So you've got, on one hand, genuine, almost global government support around life sciences and investment in R&D, and not just in COVID, but so many areas of, of health. And then you've got the need for sort of physical investment into the assets, which ultimately often tends to develop longer leases. So you've got core assets with high tenant credit ratings often, high-quality assets built for long-term occupation of the tenant or the occupier, creating this sort of perfect storm around core income, core investment opportunities, which is a lot of what the investment community is sort of targeting in Australia at the moment, in fact, globally. So it's that perfect storm of high-quality occupier, high-quality tenant, high-quality real estate, often in government-backed environments or government-backed locations, industries that um, investors, both you know, 
GPs and LPs are really looking closely at and wanting to get set in and, and deploy capital. So, Mark, when I was looking at a transacted cap rates in the US, in the Boston and San Francisco, two major life sciences hub, yep. their assets are trading around 4 to 4.5% cap. So, you know, what's the cap rate in Australia? We would be at that level or below that level. So, the US market at the moment, I mean, in many cases, save for proper logistics, is trading at, um, on long leases at least at a slightly um, softer cap rate to Australia. And if you've got a long lease in you know, Sydney and Melbourne being the markets we're sort of focusing on in this discussion, but even beyond that in the other markets, you know, assuming borders are open and, and um, sort of free flow of capital, I'd expect life sciences assets on longer leases to have a three in front of it in terms of a cap rate. Very, very popular investment class at the moment. Wow, it's interesting. Mark, early on, we were just talking about the trends in logistics and uh, how much capital are tracing for, for life sciences-related products in Pacific. I'd like to get your thoughts on some of the overseas trends you have seen, which could potentially be relevant to Pacific. And what does it mean for, for portfolio construction moving forward if you want to look into the life sciences? I think that um, definitely, and as you rightly pointed out, there's that trend in our expectation as a research house and as an investment firm to more and more capital is going to go towards life sciences. So by virtue of that, there's going to be an increased level of focus from investors to sort of get deployed in that market. The difficulty is that you need the product to be able to do that. And what we've seen overseas is a lot of investment groups looking at sort of um, adaptive reuse of existing assets. So looking at, you know, some are looking at retail, for example, as sort of that as a potential reuse, and, and often that's happening in America, albeit that there's a far more oversupply of retail there than, than, say, in Australia. The other one is office space, and there's been a lot of sort of opportunistic core plus style investors looking at uh, reuse of office buildings as potential R&D facilities, and it's actually harder than that it seems sort of getting the physical asset to actually be capable of being redeveloped, refurbished into a life sciences asset. But it's certainly a trend and one that I expect we will see in Australia. But the, for the most part, what we see is built to suit outcomes. So um, tenants partnering with developers and investors to create a built to suit purpose designed asset. And I think that's where the bulk of the opportunity is going to come from. And, you know, we see that overseas um, in terms of a trend. Yeah, excellent, Mark. I want to have a deeper dive again. When we're talking about the build to suit, but in the U.S., we do see quite a lot of conversions of a traditional offices assets into the light research lab facilities. Do you see that potentially could happen in Australia? Uh, for lighter research, um, certainly, but not for that really intense research use. And, you know, David, this is certainly a, uh, an area of your expertise, those sort of the different grades of specialisation and, and requirements around research that uh, traditional office building just can't sustain, but built to suit can. So, you know, you do see it from time to time, and we already see there's some assets in, say, Parkville, for example, in Melbourne, where you've seen the reuse of an office building into a research facility. Uh, so we do expect to see that. And the other asset class is obviously the office accommodation around life sciences. And, you know, again, in Parkville with CSL committing substantial amount of square meterage to that particular market. 
where they're going to be headquartered for a very long time. Wow, excellent. So that's the investment focus. Now let's come back to the occupier side. I think last year, the total leasing volume for all the commercial office assets was down by 25% in 2020. However, there is a 17% year-on-year growth on the life sciences corporate office leasing recorded last year across the region where occupiers are trying to capture the current weakness in the leasing market to optimize their portfolios ahead of full recovery. In the meantime, we have seen those companies are also leveraging government's incentive to enhance their R&D footprint. So David, now turning to you, can you talk to us how you see the life sciences sector adapting to this changing market and the drivers, David? Sure, Henry. Um, I think it's fair to say there's been an awful lot of talk over the years on on how people, governments, universities can capture the economic benefits and the commercialization of Australia's IP. And, and never has that been in more starker need than, than today. So those novel discoveries are, are truly critical when it comes to R&D. And COVID has at least accelerated that need to see the action now. So what we're witnessing in real time on the back of COVID is a clear identification of both the market potential and the demand for local research and increased manufacturing capability, which is very exciting. There's also a lot of interest in how companies might scale up, what incubator spaces might look like, how they might be located with production capability, the challenges and opportunities of both new build and refurbishment, which we've just touched on. That is a, a fascinating Um, opportunity, what buildings can be converted, should they, can they. I think there's an awful lot of opportunity there, that untapped opportunity at the moment. And certainly we can see a point where life sciences are being considered alongside traditional health assets at anchoring developments. So, and of course, there's an awful lot of keen investors, which Mark talked to. So certainly the market is adapting and certainly the hunger is there. It's very exciting. Yeah, definitely. I do believe beyond build to sue, we do have a lot of opportunity to convert the older assets into more life sciences suited products going forward. And now let's talking about manufacturing spaces. Production for vaccine, production of medicines is crucially important. We also understand there are new plants are coming to the market in Melbourne in 2026. And these plants will handle AstraZeneca's production in Australia with a huge sponsorship from Victoria government. So David, give us some ideas about what is coming from. You're certainly quite right, Henry. The development in Victoria is significant and a perfect example of the push to increase local production. It certainly helps having a local powerhouse in CSL to work with when it comes to the speed in which that opportunity has proceeded and that opportunity to scale up. I think we're also witnessing the push to create equivalent production in mRNA products right now, which is obviously very news and topical with the federal government looking to support the growth in that field. I think it's, again, important to note that Australia has some fantastic researchers in that space. So they are the, the appetite to capture that, harness it and produce locally. Um, all the ingredients are there. And of course, we have an investment market that wants to capitalize on that as well. Um, do you think those occupier companies also want to focus in on the increasing speed into the market? Is that a key agenda for those companies? I think so. I think the urgency to respond to the market drivers is real, and that urgency is here and now. 
And again, it's a perfect storm, which Mark used that term earlier, which was great. It's exactly where we are. All the raw ingredients are here in Australia with the with the IP and the R&D of our university and research sector, the appetite for the supply chain, the risk that we found during COVID to that supply chain. So yes, there's a perfect storm and a haste to react, which is fantastic. Excellent. I am conscious of time, so perhaps one last question for you, David. I think at the start of a pandemic, there were concerns over supply and the availability of many, many items, particularly around medicines and the PPEs and many items in Australia, which you guys are importing from overseas. And what do you think about the future dynamics and the future changes in this space? That's a great question. We definitely had an incredible test of our contingency planning across the health sector in particular. At the start of the pandemic, when there were so many unknowns, we absolutely saw the gaps in our supply chains and the limitations of relying on an international supply chain. So many of our essential products as medicines, medical devices and ventilators, PPE, etc., the vast majority came from overseas. As we're seeing with the development in Victoria, we just talked about of large-scale vaccine production. There's certainly a real desire from the government to invest in technologies locally and become a bit more self-sufficient. We've hopefully learned from the lessons um, learned of late that we needed to and we're implementing appropriate solutions. I think it's fair to say we've learned an awful lot through the pandemic and we're seeing through government and private sector investment in life sciences that lessons have been learned, but there's also a great opportunity for continued growth. Excellent, David. One more question. Beyond Melbourne and Sydney, who are the emerging hubs in Australia? I think we're seeing a lot of response from from the state capitals nationally, certainly Adelaide, Brisbane, there's significant investments in health and there's supporting infrastructure around them um, in the life sciences space. Um, Same with Perth. So to be honest, Sydney and Melbourne uh, might be going gangbusters, but the other state capitals aren't that far behind. Excellent. Thank you, Mark and Davey, for joining me today. We are still in the midst of COVID across Asia Pacific. The development of life sciences in Asia-Pacific is crucially important. It's about to start, which is underpinned by strong demand and policy support. We do expect to see investors to evaluate this asset class more closely in the future. Thanks for listening to Talking Property with CBRE. If you liked the show and want to check out more, visit cbre.com.au forward slash talking dash property or subscribe through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To read the full report discussed in this episode, remember to click on the link in our show notes. If you want to hear more from our experts on the life sciences sector, then tune in next month for another episode of Talking Property when Sass Bella, CBRE's Head of Industrial and Logistics Research in the Pacific, sits down with industry experts to continue the conversation on this dynamic sector. Until next time.